0: Do you have somebody in your life who loves books? Somebody who not only loves books, but always wants to share what she's reading with you, thinking you're going to love her latest selection? And inevitably, you just can't stand that book that they recommended.
1: That's us! (laughs) We both read a lot.
0: Well, I don't even read. I listen. But we very rarely agree on what constitutes a good read. Well, I enjoy books that build up new worlds, invite magic and mystery into our lives, because science fiction rules I listen
1: to a variety but it's all grounded in reality you can keep your elves in space operas I
0: will thank you Uh, welcome to our podcast you're making me read what your hosts on this monthly podcast are me, Jessica, and my colleague, Christine. We're librarians who get a thrill out of a great book, but usually can't stand what the other person is reading. We've
1: each selected some of our all-time favorite books. Each month, we'll alternate between the lists with the goal
0: of persuading the other to enjoy a read she would never have picked up on her own. Even a book that isn't entirely your style may have some redeeming qualities to it, right? I guess we'll just see. So. I had the pleasure of selecting the book last month, and it was fantastic. It was The We Free Men by Terry Pratchett. It was solidly good. It was fantastic. Solidly good. And we're going to stick with my use of words. Um, So Christine had the choice of this month's book. So I'll let you uh, take it on. Yes. And before we start, we have been um, requested,
1: it has (laughs) been suggested that we remind people that we're going to assume that you have read the book. Um, so we're going to talk about the whole book. If you would like to stop now and join us later after you've read the book, that's <laughs> if you don't want it to be spoiled for you, please do. Yeah, this is your spoiler alert, spoiler
0: alert, spoiler <laughs> alert.
1: So this month's read is um, My Man Jeeves by P.G. Woodhouse. And I'll give you a little bit of background about P.G. Woodhouse. He is actually Sir Pelham Granville Woodhouse. And his friends and family called him Plum. Um, he was raised by a nanny in England while his parents lived in Hong Kong, and he loved boarding school. That's like a uniquely British thing to have kids and then send them away. Do they,
0: do they, are there still boarding schools? Can you do that with children? Like just send them away like, I'm good. I'm going to go spend some time in Hong Kong now. Probably, but I don't think it's as common as it was back in the day. Okay. I think we should also point out this is our second podcast. Right. Both of our authors have been knighted. That is true, and that serves. was not
1: intentional. That's that's just a weird coincidence. Yeah, a happy coincidence. Um, P.G. Woodhouse was married to Ethel May Wyman, Wayman, I'm not sure how that's pronounced, for mm. over 60 years yeah. until his death in 1975, and he was 93 when he died. And he talks about his early writing as, I was writing stories when I was five. I don't remember what I did before that. Just loafed, I suppose. <laughs> So as a young man he was unable to fight in World War I because of poor eyesight. And so he spent World War I in New York City writing musicals. He was living in France when World War II broke out and was captured by the Germans
0: and held prisoner for almost a year. I can't I can't even imagine that, just being interred that long and being away from your family and your friends and not knowing what's going to happen next. And one of the things that was interesting, so as a librarian, I feel compelled to say that I
1: researched this using <laughs> contemporary authors and Wikipedia, and the Wikipedia entry talked about how he was actually offered the last jump seat on a fighter pilot oh. to get out of um, France when the Germans were occupying it, and he refused it because they didn't have room for his wife and their dog. Oh. So he was a kind soul. Okay. Okay. That makes me like him a little bit more. Yes. Yeah. So, and then this will make him make you like him even better, um, <laughs> because he took a big risk while he was imprisoned. He sent postcards to his publisher, asking the publisher to send five dollars to a list of Canadian families, mentioning his name in the letter. And the letters were to families of Canadian POWs that he was imprisoned with, and that was the Aww. only way that they knew that their sons were still alive. And okay. he, so he could have been in huge trouble from the Germans if they found out that he was um, conveying that information. He sounds like a top-notch
0: chap. <laughs> you, well played. You will soon hear about the use of the word chap in this book. So that's a little uh, little prelude for you. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Well done. <laughs> um, he. Let's
1: see what else. Shortly after he was released, um, he was still kind of under German influence, and he was kind of forced to record a handful of broadcasts for German radio. And that was played in the US and Great Britain. And it made a lot of his countrymen accuse him of being a traitor, Um, which wasn't really true. And in fact, one of the um, intelligence officers from Great Britain said, the broadcasts, in point of fact, are neither anti nor pro-German, but just Woodhousian. He is a man (laughs) singularly ill-fitted to live in a time of ideological conflict having no feelings of hatred hatred about anybody, and no very strong views about anything. (laughs) So he just was a dude in the wrong place at the wrong time, and they exploited his talent. And he came to the States after that, right? He did. He he was sort of self-exiled, and he had dual um, citizenship with the U.S. and Great Britain. Mm -hmm. And um, a month before he died, he was knighted. And that was seen by uh, Londoners as, I guess, Britons everywhere, as um, proof that he had been forgiven for his wartime indiscretion.
0: Okay. So I did not do nearly the amount of research, cited and otherwise, (laughs) that you have done. And I looked up a lot of those things as well. And the thing that struck me the most about him as an author and what's reflected in both this book and many of his others is he was all about humor. He Uh was a humorist. You know, he was born in 1881, and he passed away in 75. And even... um, you know, being imprisoned for a year and going through all that hardship of not being able to go back to the country of your birth. Mm-hmm. He kept on writing and he was prolific. Yes. He would be writing one and two books at a time and he had all these plots and characters and places all at once. And they're all ridiculous. Ridiculous is a term that could be <laughs> used for them, yes. I have others <laughs> that we can talk about as well. But he, I admire that he as a person and as an author was able to maintain that that core sense of integrity mm-hmm. and the humor in life because yep. i can only imagine how difficult that must be to have held on to that during times of trial definitely and um one of the
1: sources that i used in my research <laughs> said that one of the things one of the reasons that he was so consistent in his pr- portrayal of edwardian era england was because he moved away and so uh-huh. he it wasn't changing he, he was just using his memory and his memory stayed true to that era while the country was actually changing. So it helped his writing stay consistent, although that um, critic didn't say that that was necessarily his intention. It was just sort of a byproduct.
0: So his brain was like a little time capsule. Exactly. Nothing's changing, so it's all in there. I, um, I always like to try and find quotes from authors because I think that gives us a good perspective outside of their own writing. Right. And I couldn't find any really good ones that was just him in life. But I found one from another book that amused me so much I just wrote it down. And it said, if there is one thing I dislike, it is a man who tries to air his grievances when I wish to air mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's from one of his uh, books called Love Among the Chickens. Haven't read it, not sure I will, but that <laughs> quote kind of spoke to me about the kind of tenor that his books take. It's right. a little bit of satire, a little bit of weird 1880s humor. <laughs> um, and, you know, this this particular book that you've chosen as part of a series um, about Jeeves. Yes, and, and, and the narrator is Bertie Wooster. His Worcester. name is
1: um, Bertram... I'm going to forget his middle name, Bertram Wilberforce Worcester. Sure. And he's an idiot with too much time and money.
0: Um, he's a good guy.
1: He always does a favor for a friend. He will never leave a chappy in the soup, as it were.
0: Did I get that right? That's, those were two different phrases that I wrote down, yes. Chappy and the uh-huh. use of chappy in this book and, the, and the phrase in the soup. And how though about, we should know it. It's getting thick. It is. It's getting thick. Very thick. It's yes. getting a little thick in here. <laughs> <laughs> this was such an odd book for me to read because he wrote this in the 1910s. I think mm-hmm. it was published in the late, like, 1919 or 1980. And so, so many of the words he used and the phrases and the references, I had no clue. <laughs> Not even a piece. Like, um, I- I've told Christine this previously. And you know, we have a month between these podcasts. And so I checked out this book, like right <laughs> after we finished the last one. And it has sat diligently on my bedside table waiting for me to pick it up. So every couple of days, I'll pick it up and I'll go, okay, open the book, read the first page. And I'll go, oh, well, I've got a little bit more time. I'm going to just I'm gonna put this <laughs> down for now. And I was traveling this past weekend and I had a five and a half hour plane flight. And my plan was to pack only this book, and then I would have no choice. I would read this book, and I, yet I managed not to. You're kidding. <laughs> Strangest thing, right? No other... you'd, rather, you'd rather look at the seat in front of you. <laughs> no, these planes have these miraculous in-flight wireless systems, so I watched movies instead. Oh, okay. Both coming and going. Okay. So I woke up at 3.30 this morning and read this book. Okay, but so, so that normal people
1: understand, <laughs> you what time do you normally wake up? Four to four thirty. Okay. So So you woke up an hour or half an hour early. So don't make it seem like an like that's something like if I woke up at three thirty,
0: I would have to have a kidney stone.
1: Like that would be what would get me out of bed at that eight.
0: But I I purposefully woke up early just to read this so that it would be fresh for today. Okay. And I'm glad I did because I took some time and I wrote down all the words I didn't know and the phrases that were kind of Did you get to work on time? I did, oddly (laughs) enough. Um but I meant to ask you one of my questions about this was my man jeeves is a series of short stories mm-hmm. and they go back and forth a lot so some of them have jeeves in them mm-hmm. and some of them don't and I actually forgot that this
1: compilation had uh short stories that were not told through bertie wooster normally the jeeves jeeves compilations are only bertie wooster mm-hmm. narrations so I was surprised actually when when this one huh. when there's another narrator in it and I like that stuff equally, but yeah. Jeeves is my go-to.
0: So, how many books, or how many, how many, like you, you were all on me last month about mm-hmm. how we started with book forty, right? So, because, where is this in the you oh, know the canon? You don't need to. That's
1: irrelevant because they're not <laughs> done chronologically, and there are no numbers. Oh, there's no numbers. No numbers. There's, I could just pick up any book at any could. time. In fact, when I first was introduced to Woodhouse, um, the colleague that introduced me said, just pick up anything with Jeeves in the title
0: and you're good. So I did. Okay. Um, so in most of the books, though, it's, uh, what is his name? Worcester. Mm-hmm. Bertie Wooster. Bertie Worcester. Who is, I, you called him a likable idiot. Mm-hmm. I called him a gentleman of leisure. Yes, that's more accurate. Yes. And he oftentimes in this book, I pop down a couple of quotes, he would talk about his head, he would call it a bean, uh-huh. and he would say, his bean is just there for his hat. Right. There's nothing inside of it. It, does, it serves no purpose. So he was very aware mm-hmm. of his own level of purposeful competence mm-hmm. because he had money, and so mm-hmm. he didn't really have to be smart. Correct. He hired Jeeves. Does Jeeves have a last name? That is his last name. Does Jeeves have a first name? Yes. Do you know what Jeeves' first name is? Not right now. Okay. So <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Jeeves. Just Jeeves.
1: Just Jeeves. Sorry. Yes. Butler Jeeves. He's actually a gentleman's gentleman. That's different. <laughs> um yes, because he's he's not really a butler, he's really the valet. So he's oh, supposed okay. to be pressing his pants. But Jeeves does so much more than press pants. He does. He's you know, he's got that oversized head and he eats a lot of fish that and it makes true. him super smart. Yes. So he's always doing things like really important things like Getting Bertie out of accidentally having become engaged to people, which happens all the time. I mean, I can't I tell you that. how many times I've accidentally <laughs> become engaged. Steve, if you're listening, stop listening for about 20 seconds.
0: Yeah, that was However, just a
1: whoopsie. Accidentally become engaged to people and well, then
0: had to be like, oh, wow, how do I get myself out of that? I needed Jeeves. 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 Yeah. Jeeves is the guy to do it. Steve, you can listen again. <laughs> well, I, I found this book to be very interesting in my many hours this morning reading it. Um, and I am self-professed, you know, I really like science fiction and fantasy. This is not my cup of tea. Correct. But I found a lot of things to enjoy about it. Okay. Lay a mommy. So the first thing I enjoyed was I usually don't like short stories. Okay. And the reason I don't like short stories is because there's no continuity to them. You feel like you're just starting to get to know someone or a place, and then the rug's pulled out from under. You're you moving on to something else. Mm -hmm. With these ones, at least, you know most of the characters. It's kind of in the same place, so you can kind of build forward on it. Uh, So I appreciated that aspect. Yeah. I think the thing that I appreciated the most about this book was the humor. Mm -hmm. And I know that's why you picked this as the first one. You're lulling me with a false sense of security (laughs) so that when we do the next one, I'm suckered in already. Uh, But these short stories were so silly. Oh, yes. Um, I actually – I put post-it notes in my book as I'm reading it so (laughs) you don't write in a book um, with little comments. And one of them I wrote down says, um, oh, what a dink, Mm -hmm. like Mm D-I-N-K. Um, because Bertie Worcester, he's just, he's, he's, he's kind of dumb. He's a big dummy. Yeah, he's a big dummy. And he's okay with it. But he's a kind dummy. He is. And it's purposeful. Like, Mm -hmm. he's got money. Mm -hmm. He's okay to wake up and have a liquid breakfast. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's got Jeeves, so he doesn't Mm -hmm. really need to do anything else. So there's stories in here about stealing other people's toddlers Mm -hmm. and how it's not a really bad thing. If you find a toddler on the beach, you just take it. Right. That's normal. And that's normal, apparently, in the 1910s. Um... (laughs) There's um, a whole story about a chicken pyramid scheme, right? And I at first I couldn't tell if they were joking. I was like, "Oh, is this an English thing? Like you get one chicken and you get five eggs out of the chicken, and you hatch two of them, and you sell three of them, and then you've got three chickens and some money from the eggs, and then you keep doing this." I think you're doing the math wrong, but I might have been yeah. because I was perplexed when I read it about whether or not this was humor. Or just something English that I didn't know about. So that was fun. And then there was a whole story that was like this very funny soap opera. They were trapped on a boat. And this guy pretended to be his lost twin sibling so that the police wouldn't arrest him for the murder of a duke that he didn't really murder. Correct. It was just all over the place. So when I
1: describe Woodhouse or the Jeeves uh, books, stories to folks... I think of it as the dumbest sitcom you can imagine. Like <laughs> It's like Three's Company to me, if okay. you ever watch Three's Company yeah. or, or Seinfeld, because it's about nothing. Yes. But it's hilarious. So, for example, one of the things that I – one of the descriptions – I guess it's not about nothing. It's about the language, because he takes such liberties with the language. And yes. one of my favorite quotes from this compilation is he's describing Lady Morvan – and she fitted into my biggest armchair as if it had been built round her by someone who knew that they were wearing armchairs tight about the hips that season. Yes,
0: <laughs> that was funny. I I had one from that as well. So, Ms. Marwen, Marven. Oh, Mar-wen. see, so I, I listen, so I'm not even sure how they're spelled. That's a good yes. question. She was a lady. Yes, and um, she. <laughs> The quote I had was, uh, she was one of those women who kind of numbs a man's facilities. <laughs> I just <laughs> couldn't figure out quite what they meant by facilities. Is it your brain? Um, but he has a very kind of pithy word mm-hmm. choice. and In some ways, I really enjoyed it. Like I had a couple of other ones I had noted down um, he had a lot of good, really quick phrases. Mm-hmm. He called marriage um, dynamite for the soul. <laughs> I really liked that one. Um, he talked about farming as the pursuit of cows. <laughs> so it's not sheep, but it's close. Right. And um, he talked about usefulness as life's morning. And oh, those were all just yeah. really beautiful, yeah. quick turns of phrases that make you think oh, okay, even though this is about nothing. Right. It's kind of funny, and it's got these beautiful phrases, and he's got really great vocabulary as well. And, of course, it's 3.30 in the morning, so I did not look all of these up. Some (laughs) of them I knew. So, like, he used the word um, omniscience, impervious, impecunious, um, excrescence, which was Uh a hidden poop joke in Uh the book, Um, and piffle, which was just – I haven't heard that (laughs) word in years, and I was delighted to see it in print. But he also – it was kind of a pro and a con for me because there were also a lot of phrases where I had absolutely no idea what he was talking about. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, go. Rummy. Oh, rummy. Used throughout. this. Oh, we're in a rummy way or this is kind of a rummy
1: mess or he was such a rummy fellow. Yes. And it's used in every possible
0: way, positive, mm-hmm. negative, neutral. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, like I still w- don't know what it means. It's the word the. It's just it's everywhere and it means nothing because um, you could be rummy all over the place mm-hmm. and it you could have any connotation you wanted added to it. Mm-hmm. And as we alluded to earlier, um, the other frequent word that comes up is chappy, mm-hmm. C-H-A-P-P-I-E. Or just chap. Or just chap. Mm-hmm. And it goes back and forth. Mm-hmm. And that's the preferred use of person. Like, mm-hmm. oh, what a great chappy. Mm-hmm. That's really chappy of you. It's just, <laughs> is it a noun? Is it a verb? An adjective? I don't know. It's all over the place. And I counted it. And it's used... <laughs> you counted it? I did. It. I couldn't help myself. It was so frequent. <laughs> there were 10 plus uses of chap and chappy in one 15-page short story. Nice. So he, he got a little lazy. He got a little lazy. He wow. Was, uh, he needed to pick out some new word choices. Hmm. Yeah, sorry. Hmm. So I enjoyed some pieces of the book are, are there other pieces that you really loved that you think will, will win sway you over? the tide well let's see in his
1: work in general he like um sir terry did a fantastic job of choosing names yeah so these are some of my favorites through all of his <laughs> works that i've read so it's not limited to just the the book that we read I think my all-time favorite is Gussie Finknottle. That's a fantastic name. Um, And Pongo Twistleton. Pongo Twistleton. Bonzo Travers. Sure. Tuppy Glossop. My next child's name, yes. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I took the liberty of looking up your Woodhousian name.
0: Oh, I didn't know I had one. Thank you. You
1: do, and it requires a lot of research, (laughs) and it's Cordelia
0: Crumswaddle. Cordelia Mm Crumbswaddle. I like that I have a waddle Mm -hmm. and that it has crumbs in it. Well, it had to have crumbs to allude to your prowess in baking. Sure. Well, I like it and I will endeavor to live up to it. Nice. What is your Woodhousian name?
1: Oh, I don't have one. Well, how come I get one but you don't get one? Because I was researching. I spent so much time I didn't have time to research my own. But the good news is that there is a Woodhouse Society And I took the time to look up when their next meeting is so that you can go. Thank you. It is October 2019 in Cincinnati. So Mm -hmm. I have
0: already booked you a room. I will be there. Cordelia Crumwaddle would never miss it. Crumswaddle. Sure. I was really close. (laughs) And dear listener, I hope you understand that at our next podcast, Ms. Christine will have her own Woodhousian name. I I don't
1: think that will happen, but I think it's probably a a feature we want to just stop now.
0: Good luck with that. <laughs> um, I do have a specific request, though. Yes. So, uh, Mr. Woodhouse's name is spelled W O D E H O U S E. And I was consistently pronouncing it Wodehouse mm-hmm. until I was corrected. Mm-hmm. And Woodhouse just sounds too plebeian. He's got really fancy words. He's got quick turn of phrase. He's from you know, like a dapper time. Mm-hmm. I think we should call him Wodahouse. I think we should start that trend at the next uh, society meeting. Good luck.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we will not be rooming if that's, oh, your, if that's your mission.
0: Fine, fine. <laughs> so, okay,
1: so you were kind enough to say some things
0: that you enjoyed. What was not your bag? There's a couple things that I had issue with, and I didn't dislike it as much as I thought I was going to. But that's high praise, exactly. Right? <laughs> there, there was a lot to like about this. Okay. But there were some things that I had a really hard time with. Okay. Um, there were a lot of dated examples and turns of phrase that I, I had a really hard time with, and I just couldn't get past it. Okay. So, um, he kept talking about being up to your eyeballs in soup. Uh huh. And I did not like what that put in my head i just i had a hard time living with that as an example of soup i don't know what it means is it that you're drowning in soup is it that you're hungry is it that i don't know what it means and i didn't take the time to look it up which i should have but that was hard and there were a couple other pieces like that like he used the word wheeze a lot not like you're wheezing with your breathing but um w-h-e-e-z-e okay and he talked about um, a healing wheeze. Hmm. He talked about a prison wheeze. He <laughs> talked about running with wheeze. I don't know what that means. And, like, chap and rummy, I was, uh, I like, I kind of got that. And these ones, they were just there, mm. just as words that made no sense. Okay. And he had a couple of um, turns of phrase that were a, li- a little dated for me as well. Mm-hmm. Like, um, there was one short story about... Oh, Bertie's friend is trying to get his uncle to like his fiancée. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about the fiance, and they say, she gave a fellow a protective kind of feeling. Made him want to stroke her hand and say, there, there, little one. <laughs> <laughs> I read that, and I thought, no, 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 nope. I'm okay without that. <gasps> oh, I'm okay funny. without that. So that was maybe n- not so great for me. Um, and th- there were some examples that just got lost in time. Like sure. He used a, a metaphor or... He used a, a statement once that said, I looked like a cross between a music hall comedian and a cheap bookie. Right. And bookie, I, in my head I can kind of imagine what that is, but I don't know what a cheap bookie looks like in 1919. Right. And I'm not sure I know what a music hall comedian is. Okay. So some of it just got a little lost in time for sure. me. Um, Chappie. The Chappie count was hard. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't have to count it. I
1: just want to just make it clear for anybody who might be listening that that is not a requirement when you're reading it that you have
0: to count the number of times he says "chew." You have to. You get to. Okay, right. (laughs) There were two adult male characters that chewed on the end of their walking canes. Yes. What's up with that? Um, It's charming, isn't it? No, 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 it's not. (laughs) And one of them did it, like, contemplatively. Like, he was thinking, and that was just the thing he chewed on. And another one did it while he was trying to annoy his mother. Yes, and that one, um, one of my favorite phrases about that one, that's Maddie, (laughs) was that his
1: chin gave up the struggle halfway down. (laughs) That is a fantastic description of a weak-chinned
0: dude. It is. Um, I think the overriding thing for me about this book was it was enjoyable. Mm -hmm. And the humor was there, and the phrasing was mostly there, but I would not be compelled to read more of it. There wasn't enough substance for me to say, like, oh, I really want to get to know, I think I'm going to get to know these characters more. Well, I feel like I could entice you to read a little bit more when
1: I say that there are, are volumes written about um, a prize-winning winning pig sure. and stealing a cow pitcher.
0: Those are both compelling cases. They are. And I'm not going to tell you what they're in, so you're going to have to read the whole collection to find them. It's going to be balanced out by, though, a quote that I wrote down that I'm having a hard time getting past, and it's two men talking. Yes. And the first one says, what ho? And then the next one says, (laughs) what ho, what ho? And then the third one says, (laughs) what ho, what what ho, what ho? And, um, And then they just say what at the end. And there's a lot of that. There is a lot of that. that. That was not as compelling for me. It's very funny when you listen to. The reader does
1: a fantastic job of all of that nonsense. So, and you're right. I think what appeals to me about it is I let all of that silliness wash over me. And it is just entirely
0: entertaining. And I was being maybe purposefully nitpicky about oh, sure, specific sure, things because right. that's the fun of it. Absolutely. So overall, I would say I don't regret reading this. <laughs> I'm not sure I would have picked it up on my own. Oh, I'm sure you wouldn't have. Probably not. Okay, but so uh, as as a grade, what would you give it? Uh, C plus. Okay, yeah, Fair enough. enough. We- it was okay. It passed. Okay, it passed. Passing grade. Yeah, and if I was forced to read another one as part of a school assignment, mm-hmm. I would do that too. Okay. Yeah. Well, the Woodhouseian Society will be happy. I mean, the Woodhouse Society will be happy to hear that. Oh, yes. Ms. Cordelia Crumbswaddle nice. will be back. Nice. I'm glad that you have um, embraced your have. alter ego. Well, I need to give folks a heads up about next month's book. So they can read it and not have any spoilers. That and because they're going to love it so much. Mm. <laughs> I love <laughs> the, the volume of intent conveyed in that noise. What ho. What ho. Uh, next month's book is Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman. It is a realistic, magical book. What? Yes. Magical realism is a thing. And it's about a man who stops to help a young lady who is bleeding on the streets of London. And the next day, he finds that he has been entirely erased from his life. Hmm. His credit cards don't work. His apartment's been rent out. His fiance's gone. And the girl that he stopped to help is um, part of the Catalyst for him being a race in that life. So the whole book is about him landing in this alternative London reality and about him trying to find his way back to the real London and to hmm. get out of Neverwhere, which is the alternative London. It is Neil Gaiman's, is one of my favorite of Neil Gaiman's books. It's it's his earliest um, kind of canon book. It's It's very good.
1: Well, I would just like to say to Neil Gaiman, you're welcome because I think this means you're about to be knighted. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if, if our trend stays true, it will. <laughs> well, um, I think that this was a good book in the entry and hopefully folks will enjoy the next one coming up as well. And thank you for joining us for You're Making Me Read What? Even if this particular book wasn't your cup of tea, there are millions more where that came from. And don't forget you can always get these great books and lots more at your local library. So join us next month when we'll be discussing Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman. Thank you and keep on reading.